He is such a scholar. No man understands the law like he does. And yet he is more than a scholar. No other rabbi performs miracles. None that I know. And so, like a child, I, I, I snuck away from the others in the middle of the night to seek him out. And like a child, I, I stood there staring at him. I immerse myself daily in the Holy Scriptures. So what then could he possibly mean when he says that to see God, I must be born again? City crowds follow his every word. They adore him. They would follow him anywhere. Why don't we strike? The time is ripe. We're armed, and I am ready to fight to the death. Rome would fall. So I followed him out of the city to where a huge multitude had gathered, and he was healing the sick and breaking bread and feeding them and preaching to them. What kind of a king? So we formed a small group and we went to him to take him and establish his kingdom. And he disappeared to a mountain by himself, alone. I don't understand, God. Why would you send us such a king? I have averted my eyes from others. I have much shame. But I heard he was eating at the Pharisees, and I waited outside with the gift that I had. I looked down at the small jar of oil I had in my hands, and then I looked up, and there he was. I saw him and wept. I couldn't contain myself. I ran in and fell at his feet. I am so unworthy of forgiveness. And yet this man, Jesus, he said to me, I forgive you your sins. I so long for that to be true. Is it possible that he could love me like that? Pray with me. Lord, thank you for how you work in our hearts when we praise you. Thank you that you move our hearts open so that we can receive not only your spirit, but your guidance. And now that we have those hearts open in places that, that can only be opened by music and praise, Lord, impart more of your nature to us. Through your word, 
Let this be a time of supernatural conversion that we might be more like Jesus. We pray in His name. Amen. Please be seated. As you know, all year long we're, we've been talking, for the first nine months of the year, we were talking about how do you train folks, or actually being trained ourselves, for arenas of ministry out there because 98% of our ministry is going to be out in the world. It's not going to be in church. Um, and if we're called to be salt and light, if we're made into salt and light, then there must be effective ways out there that we can help people. But the last few months are going to be more of a call again to the basic idea because you know as well as I do, if we're out there, you're just doing it every day, you start to concentrate on the tasks and forget some of the bigger reasons that you're doing it. And when you do that, you're cut off from a sense of worship and a sense of, of representing the Lord. And you, t- you kind of dry up. And so we're going to remind ourselves uh, now of those larger purposes and that larger character. A basic and fundamental um, element of Christianity that is just absolutely the opposite of the world is becoming self-sacrificing instead of receiving. That is, to be givers instead of consumers. Most Americans, when they come to Christianity, when they come to Christ, come as little children and have the attitude of little children. What do you got? What else you got? Um, Most of us, when we were kids, um, well, no, all of us when we were kids, as part of our sin nature, grew up believing that the entire world revolved around us. And that's the way it ought to be. And we were quite shocked and a little bit insulted to learn that not every, everybody did believe the world ought to revolve around us. Now, I might say to you that God in His providence has made uh, civilizations uh, like that. For a long time, uh, the world thought that the sun revolved around the world. It was a geocentric view of the universe. And only with Copernicus did it stick that, no, the world revolves around the sun. Now, there is a spiritual Copernican revolution that all of us need to go through. And as we go through this, we will become more like Christ. And that is this understanding. We weren't put here to have the world serve us. We weren't even put here to have God serve us. We were here to serve. We were here to revolve around other people's lives and certainly around the will of God, to revolve around the Son. And so... What we read today in Scripture illustrates that point perfectly. If you have your Scriptures with you, and you will turn to John chapter 10. Jesus is going to use the allegory here of uh, a shepherd. By the way, for you English majors, I always like to give factoids. Some of you guys like little factoids. An allegory is an extended metaphor, and a parable is an extended simile. So he uses the metaphor here of a shepherd, of of being the good shepherd. And he starts out like this. Let's go to to verse 9 instead of just 10. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, I'll explain this later, he shall be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes in only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they might have life. Now the Greek word here is zoane, and it means 
John uses it uh, to mean eternal life that you don't have to wait on until you die. That's, that's a, that's a, we have, when Christ comes into our hearts, we have the quality of eternal life, not just the length of eternal life. And we have the quality of eternal life that, that makes all the difference now in this life. That's what Jesus came to give us. And it comes in exactly with Jesus because Jesus said, I am the life, the way, the truth, and the life. And so when Christ comes into our hearts, we have that quality. And it says this, and they might have it abundantly. I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now he says that four times in this, in this passage alone. So I want you to know that's where we're going. And we're calling shepherds today. The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hireling and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, beholds the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and gathers them. He flees because he's a hireling and is not concerned about the sheep. Now, this is this consumer mentality that I was talking about. Do you know we have hireling Christians too? Now, you can't, the, the, the allegory here says you can't tell who's the shepherd and who's the hireling by what they do most of the time. Because what they do, what a shepherd does and what hirelings do most of the time is it just looks the same. You can't tell it until you can track the motivation for what they do or until they get in a really tight spot. When I say we have hireling Christians, let me explain what I mean. I was, in, I was in traffic uh, yesterday, um, or was it the day before? I don't know. And, and, and stopped behind a car, uh, turning left onto 436. And now, I, I'm fully aware that, that you may well be in the congregation today. Because if, if, you're, if you're in this part of town, chances are you go to this church. So, let, but let me tell you what I thought about when I pulled up behind your car. <laughs> On the back bumper was a Jesus fish sticker, okay? The little chrome deals with the, the, the fish and the word Jesus right in it. So Jesus fish stuck on the back bumper. On the windshield was stuck a radar detector. Now this is what I thought. I could be wrong here. But I wondered if, if that person had come to Christ for the same reason that they had gotten a radar detector. That is to avoid accountability. To avoid accountability. Do you know how many people come to Christ just because they don't want to go to hell? Now, that's not a bad reason. That's a very smart reason. <laughs> and if that's the only reason you come, it's worth coming. But something told me, I could be wrong, that this person didn't come to submit, this person came to escape. A hireling is a Christian who comes to Christ for what they can get and the pain they can avoid rather than what they can give and the ways they can submit. A hireling Christian comes to church and says, fill me up. Well, I love this church. Great music, great, I like that. Boy, I love, man, this is great. 
I love this church. Fill me up. Don't ask me to contribute, though. You start talking about money, I'm out of here. That's a hireling Christian. Coming for what they can get rather than what they can give. Hireling Christian comes and says, tell me about eternal life. I love hearing about heaven. I love, I love singing all those heaven songs. I'll fly away. I love those songs. I love those songs. Tell me about how I'm going to live forever. But don't tell me how to live my life right now. That offends me. You got no business telling me how to live my life right now. That's a hireling Christian. Hireling Christian comes in and says, tell me again how much God loves me. Tell me again. Just like I am. He loves me just like I am, doesn't he? But don't tell me I got to be friends with this obnoxious person right here. That's a hireling Christian. You understand? You can't tell from where their position is. You can only tell long run from what their motivation is. Now, Jesus goes on from there and says this. He says, I'm the good shepherd. And I know my own and my own know me. Let me tell you how that happens, by the way. It still happens in the Middle East if you've been over there. It's happened for centuries like this. Um, um, a, a flock or a, a, a fold of sheep will know not only the voice but the special word of their shepherd. They, can, they literally can recognize the voice. Um, uh, if, if there is a flock that is sh- several folds of sheep together and they all blend in together and, and, and they have separate shepherds, one shepherd can go up and can speak a word and his particular sheep will separate themselves and follow him. That's how they know. Now, you, you, you've experienced some of that. Um, um, some of you have, have run in, in, the, in the community and you'll get in a conversation with somebody and you'll bring up church and they'll say, where do you go? And you go to Northland. He goes, I go to Northland. Boom. There's that. It's, it's almost every airport I go in these days. You know, I, it, it's, it's, it's very seldom that this doesn't happen. Somebody will come up. Northland. <laughs> and they'll say, yeah. You know, it's a sister. It's a brother. You know, you got this, you got this instant connection. And that's that. I know my own and my own know me. It's, it's kind of like, yeah, okay, here's the word. So Jesus has this, has this relationship. And it says, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. There it is again. And I have other sheep which are not of this fold, and I must bring them also, and they shall hear my voice, and they shall become one flock with one shepherd. Now, let me explain this to you. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but this is important. I want you to think in terms of the local church and the distributed church here. The, 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 um, there was a fold of sheep. The fold was the, were the people, or were the sheep, rather, that, that came into a certain pen at night in order for, the, in order for them to, to have safekeeping. And, and, and very often, the pen did not have a door. It just had a narrow opening. And what would happen is the shepherd would literally lay down in that opening. That's why Jesus says, I am the door. The shepherd would lay down in that opening so that the sheep in the, in the night could not go out into danger, nor could the danger come into the sheep without having to go through the door. 
the shepherd himself. Well, think in terms of Northland, the local church, which is the fold of sheep. We, we're in the same pen. <laughs> we come to the same place every week. We kinda, we're kind of in this deal together. But there are other sheep that are not of this fold, not of this local church, that are his also. And he says, I must gather them in so that we all have one shepherd. Think of that as the distributed church. That's the flock. That's the people that, that don't meet together with us every week, but they meet together and they're a part of us. The distributed church then is a perfect image of what Jesus is talking about here. And then he says this, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay my life down, that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me. I lay it down of my own initiative. Here is the quality of sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He doesn't do it out of guilt. He does it out of love. He doesn't do it because somebody tells him he has to. He does it because he wants to. Now watch this. It says this. I have the authority to lay it down, and if I... Ha- and I um, and I have the authority to take it up again. For those of you who are theologians, what he's claiming here is divinity. He's claiming here is co-equal status with the Father. In many of the, in many of the uh, synoptic Gospels, it's God who raises Jesus from the dead. Jesus says in John, he raises himself from the dead. Please don't ever let anybody tell you Jesus never claimed to be God. That is absolutely wrong. Of course he did. And if he claimed to be God, he's either a liar or a lunatic or the Lord. You have no other choice. So this is a theological point that's important for us to remember. This commandment I received from my father. Now I want to tell you three things fairly quickly. Number one, the world's a rough place. I don't have to tell you that, do I? But just some of you are remembering that right now, and some of you will be remembering that in the near future. But Jesus starts out this whole thing by talking about the thief and the wolf and the hireling and the scatteredness. And, and, and he's, just, he's just saying, man, the world is a rough place to live. I hope that none of you became Christians so that your life would get easier. <laughs> you did that. You're fairly discouraged by now. Uh, let me tell you something. The world treats us all the same. I mean, flat out treats us all the same. Your life will be deeper. It will be more meaningful. It will be more fulfilled. It will be longer lasting. But it won't be easier. And because the world is just a rough place to live. And it doesn't regard persons. It'll take you down at any given point. I read a a cute story the other day um, about uh, some kids out trick-or-treating. Some of you... We have more and more uh, international folks coming here, so you don't know what this trick-or-treating thing is. There's a holiday, an American holiday. It's not a Christian holiday. It's, on the, it's the other side, you know. But it's an American holiday. When kids go out and trick or you know, they got these little costumes, you know what I mean? they got these little... And, and they go out trick-or-treating and, with their little costumes, and they go to a house, and they go say, trick-or-treat, and then the, the people are supposed to give them candy. And, uh, and so... So these little kids out trick-or-treating, you know, and they go to this, this house there on the front porch of their little bags, and the lady comes to the door, and they say, trick-or-treat. And, uh, and so she's, she goes and gets a bowl of candy, and she's putting some candy in the things. And she notices this one kid all, you know, how kids are, they got their girl, we're snotty, we're, you know, 
She looks at the kid, she goes, she's a mother, she knows how to handle runny noses. So she says, honey, just wait a minute, I, I, I'll be right back. So she goes and, and, and she gets a box of Kleenex and she comes and she, she goes to the porch, she said, honey, take one of these Kleenexes and wipe your nose. And so just as the kid is reaching for the Kleenex and taking one out of the box, another group of kids kind of comes around the corner and you hear one of those kids say, oh no, She's giving Kleenex out this year instead of candy. Well, I, the reason I tell that story is because a lot of you, a lot of you are where you are not right now because you were expecting candy and you're at the Kleenex box. Some of you went into relationships saying, man, this is going to be candy. This is going to be all candy. And you're at the Kleenex box. Some of you went into jobs thinking, oh, man, it's the perfect job for me. This is so great. You're at the Kleenex box, aren't you? <laughs> Some of you are entering a time of life when you thought, man, oh, man, I tell you what, if I can only get here, this is going to be terrific. It's going to be candy. And it's Kleenex. That's the way life is. Life is rough. And Jesus knew that life is rough. As a matter of fact, Jesus knew that it was so rough that somebody was going to have to pay big time to save some. Because the world demands payment. The world demands payment. The real world, which is that eternal life, that zoe, that life that is valid here and it's valid out there and it's valid at this time and it's valid forever, has an account balance. And somebody's got to pay. The reason that Jesus is our salvation is because when we sinned, we couldn't pay. We already owe Him everything. What are we going to pay Him with? And so when Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins, Jesus said, I'll pay. I'll pay. But it's more than just that. Because Jesus is the one who continues to shepherd us in some ways and calls others to shepherd the flock also. You see, the imagery here is there are a lot of people who just can't do it on their own. There, there, there are little people that are our kids. There are big people who are our friends who need us. And when they need you, you have a choice. You have a choice between whether to thrive on your own or to pay the price for them. Whether to race ahead and achieve what you could or to be held back and love them like they need. That's your choice. And the ones that choose to be held back are the shepherds. In Mark 15, 33, or 30 and 31, there's a picture of, of people standing by the cross and looking up at Jesus and they're mocking him. And they're saying, King of the Jews, huh? <laughs> Come on down from the cross. You see, they had the same imagery of who the Messiah would be as you just heard here. It's the imagery mirrored in Hamlet when he says, to take arms against a sea of troubles and by opposing in them. It's the imagery of strength and force and victory. But it wasn't the imagery of Christ. 
Because Christ was the imagery of sacrifice and payment. And when they see he's not coming down, they summarize the gospel perfectly. This is it. He saved others. He cannot save himself. That is the same choice we have. If you're going to save others, you can't save yourself. It costs somebody. And you've got to decide whether or not you're going to be the people that pay. You're going to be the person to sacrifice like Jesus was for us. You're going to be the one to pour your life into someone else. Somebody's got to pay. Is it going to be you? I hope it is. Because you know as well as I do, we were not made just to sustain ourselves. You know as well as I do the emptiness of that. You know as well as I do the isolation of that. It's so important to understand that when Jesus was headed toward Jerusalem in Matthew 16, He just establishes the church. And He says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And immediately He starts to think what that's going to cost. And He knows that's going to cost Him His life. And so He says, I've got to go to Jerusalem. And Peter says, forbid it, Lord. Forbid it. He came out with the voice of the culture. How many uh, people in this culture surround you today with messages that they, they, some of them don't even know you? You deserve a break today. You can't give to anybody else what you haven't already got. Store it up for yourself and then you can give it. Pamper yourself. You deserve it. There are all kinds of things that would save you as people, all kinds of messages that would talk you into placing yourself first. That's the message of this culture. But Jesus says to that message, get thee behind me, Satan. He wasn't talking to Peter. He was talking to the temptation that was his and the temptation that is yours and the temptation that is mine. Place myself first. Get ahead. Then maybe I can help somebody else out. No. It doesn't work that way. There's a profound disappointment in that. As much as, as much frustration and hurt there is in love, there is even more sterility and isolation. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, I know love hurts, but you've got to realize that the only place outside of heaven where love doesn't hurt is in hell where love doesn't exist. Love hurts. But yet... Somehow it fulfills. Love costs, yet somehow it gives back. I don't know how that happens. I heard a story once about an oil well that was huge. Was, and somebody had bought this oil well sight unseen. And they go down to see the oil well. And the oil well is pumping just enough oil to keep itself running. And the guy's all happy about this oil well, you know, and, 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 and telling the person who just bought it. Man, this is a great oil well because it will pump enough oil to keep itself running forever. And the person who bought it said, that's not what I bought it for. Is that what Christ bought you for? Just to get enough to keep yourself running forever? Is that why Christ paid the price for you that He did? Of course not. He paid the price for us so that we could pay the price for others. So that we could give to others. 
Not in heroic ways, probably. In little ways. In practical ways. In everyday ways. Ways that you mothers know full well. I was raised, with a single mother raised me, and I was terribly worried that she'd never get married because she had two kids tagging along with her all the time. I felt so bad that I was holding her back. And I kept, I used to say to her, Mom, don't worry, I'll find you a husband. Little did I know that she was not missing her fulfillment. I was her fulfillment. I know that now that I'm a parent. I didn't know it then. Little ways that friends know. Little ways. I read a story about a church that was searching for a pastor. And they had a sense of humor. And they, and they put in the ad... We want somebody that can walk on water and move mountains. The guy who got the job was the guy who showed up with a life jacket and a shovel. <laughs> Sometimes just practical things are enough. You know, just little ways. And the way we can do that is by not concentrating on how much we're giving up. You know, that's what Satan tries to get, get you to do. He tries to get you to picture all that you could be without them. Tries to get you to picture the, how much you could achieve if you just weren't held back. And how much you've given up. It's not a mechanical thing. That's why it's so important to understand the words of Jesus. When he says, I know my own. And my own know me. <laughs> that's what makes it all worthwhile. You see, all of life was meant to revolve around the kind of love that was indispensable and worth it all. This is not a mechanical thing, how much we give up. We will never be primarily mechanical. No matter how convenient mechanics makes life, we will never be primarily mechanical. We will always be person-oriented. I love the story that this lady wrote. She said, you know, I've, I've always been kind of a walking dictionary. And I can just pretty well spell any word. I don't know what it is. It's just, just a gear I've got. The other day, I was standing beside my husband while he was typing something into the computer. And, and, and he, he looked at me. And she, he said, how do you spell acknowledge? And I said to him, just, well, just hit spell check. And he did this. <laughs> how do you spell Acknowledge. We will always be about people rather than machines. We will always be about love rather than processes and achievement. The other night, uh, I was at a get-together for some of the leaders at Northland, just some, some fellow shepherds. By the way, understand the basic character of sheep. You'll never get thanked by sheep. Sheep don't thank shepherds. You've never seen sheep stand up and go, Yay, shepherds! No. And, and please don't think I'm asking you to thank me. I, I, every once in a while somebody says, Thank you for what you do. I know I'm not talking to sheep. I'm talking to another shepherd. But we were at this get-together. And we were just talking about what God was doing in the lives of the people we knew. Got a call from uh, Orlando. Orlando's in uh, Sri Lanka right now. 
And so wanted to talk to me on the phone. So, so he's talking to me from Sri Lanka, and I said, well, what's happening over there? He said, man, Joel, this is so exciting. He says, he says there are like 15 churches that have started over here, and they all start from this like Youth for Christ thing. And, and, and he says, and, but they don't know anything about church. They don't know anything about church. They, do, they know about Jesus. So they're, they're, all these groups are going all over. There's signs and wonders. It's fantastic, but they don't know. And they want us to come over and train elders for them because they don't know how to do church. Man, I was excited. I said, oh, yeah, we'll be there. Distributed church. Okay, here's something we can do. Here's a way we can help. And the question of the night was, what do you want to be doing 10 years from now? And I just walked in and said, this, this. I'm going to be hanging out with, with many of you and just, just having this same conversation. There is nothing better than this. Not any kind of achievement would replace the kind of excitement that comes from being together. <laughs> just doing stuff together. An illustration of that is this. Last year on Broadway, um, there was a very short-run show called Sideshow. And it chronicled the life, I mean, this was, this was an actual historical um, life of Siamese twins, the Hilton sisters. They were born in 1908. For those of you who, who don't remember that imagery, Siamese twins are those that are physically co-joined so that they cannot be separated. They share one body. And the Hilton sisters, Daisy and Violet were their names, um, went through life together. But there came a point when they had grown up when Violet had the chance to marry. Now think of this for a minute. Think of this. Here she is, torn between wanting... <laughs> an individual gratification and not wanting to leave her sister out. And as the show progresses, as the life progressed, the complications were overwhelming so that the fiancé finally said, never mind. I want you to imagine her feeling just for a moment. At first, she was profoundly sad that she might not have something as an individual that would fulfill her. But afterwards, there was a contentment about staying with the one who had always been a part of her life, about not leaving, even in a little way, the one she loved. Because love is so much more important than personal gratification. Did you ever think what you could achieve on your own? I hope you never find out. Our life is not about Siamese twins, but our life is about husbands and wives. Our life is about parents and children. Our life is about covenant friends. Our life is about churches joined together for the cause of Christ. Our life is about togetherness. We were made by a God that is both singular and plural at once.
He cannot be divided. We were made from the lives of people who poured themselves into us, who sacrificed their own happiness and their own resources for us. There is nothing about us that should be alone. And there is nothing about us that should withhold what we can give others. Pray with me. Jesus, thank You for laying down Your life for us. Our eternal future is a product of what You gave and only You could give to us. Help us to give to others what only we can give. And when it hurts, and when it doesn't feel like there's enough, even when it feels like we could use that for ourselves, let us find the profound joy that only comes with sacrifice, the sacrifice of love. Let us find You because that's who You are. We pray in Your name. Amen. Please stand for the benediction. Let me ask the prayer team to come forward. And let me say something else to you that you already know. If you have simply tried to love as an individual, you have learned very quickly how limited your love is as a person and how quickly draining that is and how quickly frustrated you'll be. There's no way that you can love eternally without eternal love living in your heart. And there's no way that can happen without Jesus Christ. If you don't have Jesus Christ in your heart so that you have that kind of love to give others, this morning you could have. They could introduce you to Him. He can come and live in your heart and be the way and the truth and the life. There are others of you who do have Jesus living in your heart, but you're at Kleenex time right now. And you need somebody to stand by you and hold you while you do the Kleenex thing and let you know that God is with you and He's going to work it for your good and encourage you to keep giving even while you're going through rough times. They would be glad to pray with you too. Or any of you who have any needs, prayer for healing, prayer for reconciliation, whatever your needs, they'd be glad to stand with you because they're a part of you and you're a part of them. Now for those of you who are leaving, may the saving grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God, fellowship of the Holy Spirit, go with us from this place and help us lay down our lives for other people. Amen.